Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. So you know how uh, in theater, if a performer can sing, dance, and act, they call that a triple threat, right? Well, William DeShay Cortez Jackson is a liturgical triple threat. They can sing, play an instrument, and preach. Mm, Think about it. And we've experienced two of those gifts in our worship service before, and tonight, church, we are lucky and grateful recipients of the third. DeShay is the minister of music at First Christian Church Disciples of Christ in Granbury, which meets on Sunday morning, lucky for us. They are a ministry partner at The Gathering in Dallas, which meets on Saturday night, lucky for us. With the gathering in Dallas, they were recently a featured panelist for a Purple Table Talk entitled Journey to Freedom, Releasing Shame and Fear to Become Whole, Black LGBTQIA Perspectives. DeShay is a student at Bright Divinity School and is in the ordination process with the Christian Church Disciples of Christ in Mid-America. With all that they've got going on in their very rich life, it is truly a gift that they're here tonight to share what they've discerned through study and prayer on our behalf for our worship series, What the World Needs Now. DeShay's text for tonight is a piece of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. It comes in a longer section on religious piety, or we might say more favorably, on spiritual disciplines, how we enact our faith. And I'm going to read this section preserving the masculine paternal language for the deity in the text because I'm quoting Jesus. And that is how Jesus spoke of God. We'll let Jesus have his say. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 7. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us break bread together on our knees. Let us 
us break bread together on our knees. As I fall on my knees with my face to the rising sun, oh Lord, have mercy on me. Howdy, church. First of all, I need you all to understand how important it is for me to be able to say that phrase within this space at this time of life. Because it's a little bit surreal. Uh, first of all, let me, before I get into everything, my name is Deshay Jackson, pronouns they, them, theirs. And I have been listening to Galileo since I think fall of 2017 before I started at Bright Divinity in fall 2018. And glory be to God, as long as things all go well, December of this year looks like graduation for a Master's in Divinity. Praise be to God. <laughs> but it is a privilege and an honor to be here, to have this opportunity to engage this auspicious bunch that God loves and to work from this here sacred desk. Truly, we serve a God of Many surprises. Uh, but I'm feeling a little stuffy. Give me a second here because I, this, yeah, this feels a little too mm, scrunched here. So let me talk to you in the way that I would in my home church. This is the script that if I went to another church, I would say these words. <clears throat> Giving honor to God, who is the head of my life, um, to the lead evangelist here, and to the co-conspirators of the divine one present today, I bring you greetings from First Christian Church in Granbury, Texas, and The Gathering, a womanist church in Dallas, Texas. Today, y'all, we've come to talk about what the world needs now. So let's break bread together. Will you all join me in whatever form of prayer is comfortable to you? Spirit of the living God, fall fresh upon us. Renew us that we may grow fruit for ourselves and each other, reminding us of our sacred priorities to care for one another and to care for the earth, which yields fruit that we tend to take for granted. Open our thoughts, creator and sustainer, to be mindful of our consumption and to give more than we hoard. Decrease me in this moment, Holy One, so that a message from you might be received. Amen. So I'm, I'm going to do a little bit of a mindfulness moment with you all, if you're comfortable with it. Uh, I'm going to ask you to sit in your chairs and for you at home, find a comfortable seat and to get your feet flat on the floor if you can. If your feet are dangling, well, you know what? That's fine, too. Just get comfortable. And I want you to either close your eyes or to look at something in front of you with a bit of a soft focus. And for my people at home, um, please engage this uh, safely to the best of your abilities, um, especially when it comes to the podcast, because don't be driving and closing your eyes. <laughs> but let us take a couple of deep breaths in and out together. Join me breathing in and breathing out. Again, breathing in 
and breathing out. And one last time, a good, deep cleansing breath in and breathe out. I want you to think about your favorite meal. How does it look? How does it smell? Uh, what sounds might it make? Is there a place or a person that you might associate with this dish? Maybe even, I don't know, a particular time of year. I'll give you a second because I wanna hear what your favorite dishes are and I'll make sure that people listening online hear what they are too. So when you are ready, you may shout out what your favorite dish is. Pizza, chocolate pie, Mexican food. Macaroni and cheese. Oh, comfort staple. Oh, chicken fried steak and down here curry. Oh, come on, enliven that palate. Who what now? Mm, the nectar of the gods, let me tell you. Fry up some chicken, get that remaining grease up, sop it up, ooh, Jesus. And ooh, you wanna talk about a blessing in disguise. Someone said potatoes, and when I am called a potato, that is the ultimate compliment, because let's talk about versatility, y'all, okay? Not only can you be tasty, salty, sweet, and knock you off on someone else. There we go. Anyway, um, has the ability to take over, and we love it. <laughs> Thank you. And if you got more, go ahead and submit them to me later. I want to hear them. But one of my favorite, absolute favorite meals to make is a southern staple that's a culinary comfort for most humans. Um, there are some that wouldn't be able to have it, but... It is oven-fried chicken, homemade mashed potatoes, collard greens or green beans, cornbread, and if I'm feeling like Miss Petty Crocker in the kitchen, I'll bake a peach dump cake with a little bit of brown sugar glaze and a dollop of vanilla ice cream to top it off. And look, and if you're salivating, well, praise God, your mouth works. <laughs> but I don't apologize for that revelation. See, my relationship with food goes beyond the basic need to consume food or food-like products to survive. And I'm not saying that I have risen above this understanding, but for me, my relationship with food has become a sacred mindfulness moment with the ancestors that seeks to craft conversation sparked by aromatics and simmered in pounds of butter. I am the only one cooking in the kitchen. I know that I'm not alone. And in fact, I feel that I am greeted by a heavenly host of loved ones that are encouraging me to cultivate art with a pinch of this and a dash of that. But see, my entry level into this, uh, what we call grown folk business, began when I was about 11 years old. And with my mother's watchful eye, a pound of ground beef, and a ridiculously thick, and I mean stacked, cast iron skillet. I learned to knead ground beef with a generous supply of Lowry's, and if you don't know what Lowry's seasoned salt is, go ahead and try it and bless your tongue. Um, not good though if you, you have high blood pressure, but live your life. Um, 
<laughs> and I learned how to conquer the, the momentous task of flipping a burger without getting grease on the stove or on the burner. And for some of you know what it's like to have a, a gas stove. So uh, if your burner gets caught with oil, your whole thing gonna catch on fire and Lord have mercy. It was between that or me and I did not get burned either. <laughs> See, learning how to make a cheeseburger at 11 years old led to competing in restaurant management at the national level for a high school culinary program at 17, which led to just exploring womanism and eco-womanism in ministry for these last couple of years of my master's. How on earth do these connections work? Well, beloveds, like us, food has a story, and there's a whole menu to explore. And for your exploration, um, show of hands, how many of y'all got Netflix? And show of hands at home, I'm, I'm pretending I see y'all too. Thank you for my see of this. So if you have not, made the time to do so. I want you to go on to Netflix, and I want you to look up a show called High on the Hog. There we go. Look, I, I've got, I got a witness back there. I got a witness. Thank you. Because I want you to engage this television show to change your assumption about food if you have any preconceived notions. See, I have found that Stephen Satterfield's journey to explore the roots of food with it, that are found within the African, African-American cuisine, and we're talking, uh, his journey is Texas to Africa, or really Africa back into Texas. And this show speaks more about the relationship to land and who controls it, in addition to this cultivating crops and looking at the agricultural system that is Africa. His exploration across the African diaspora produces a well of emotions in viewers as they experience this immersion into African culture, where we physically see him make a walk on a path that changes his life. And I don't want to ruin this for you all, which makes it really hard, because y'all, until you are in it, you don't get it. But through the lens and through stories of the people and through the food that he consumes, there is a side of Africa that is closer to us than we could have ever imagined made accessible now within our homes. And now it's seen as important. Africa ain't just got here, y'all. So following his experience prompted me to think about food in a way that should be obvious to all of us. But honestly, it wasn't. Food is sacred. I'm gonna say it again, food is sacred. Can I get an amen? Thank you, I knew I could get a congregation to talk back. And I don't mean that just because it has the power to save us from the hangry frustrations of our loved ones. <laughs> but let's be honest and ask ourselves genuinely what happens when we view food as sacred. And see, some of you might already do this, and if you do, praise God. But do we view food enough past the consumption portion? We know that it is meant to be consumed. We do within, we, we consume our nutrients, we put back into the earth, hopefully. But are we approaching it with care, is my question. Throughout this, I am reminded of African theologian and scholar, Laurenti Magesa 
who writes about African spirituality and this intermingling of elements present in our lives that represent goodness, wholeness, and flourishing. See, these elements are not solely related to religion and, in, and can occur in anything where joy and safety can be found, meaning the Christian life is not the only life that gives life. So, with our understanding of this, African spirituality seeks to make the elements of every day holy. So without being silly, I'm going to ask this question again. Can we view food as sacred? Or what happens when we start to view our food as sacred? Maybe, and just maybe what happens, this is a thought here, that with our understanding, what happens is that our, standing, our understanding of this goes past our plate and goes past the grocery store where we pick up our food. But instead, when we ask a serious nature of making food sacred, we then start to think about where was it grown? Whose land is it on? or whose land has it been taken from? Who is laboring for this? Can food be thought of as sacred? Maybe sweetly, we can think about food as a prayer from someone simply sending us love. And I could be on the side of positivity, don't get me wrong. We all know the world that we live in. I don't want to negate the dangers of mass consumption. I don't want to negate mass production. And I certainly don't want to ignore overfarming that damages the soil and strips the land of any nutrients just for the sole purpose of feeding our greed. Y'all, what the world needs now is, a da is daily bread with an eco-womanist charge. See, if you're not familiar with the term eco-womanism, because I know you all have had the Reverend Dr. Irie sessions on here, and therefore you are familiar to a degree of womanism, but I'm going to talk to you about eco-womanism, which crafted and divined by Dr. Melanie Harris. See, eco-womanism uses a deconstructive lens that critiques environmental approaches and it ignore uh, environmental approaches that ignore the history of environmental justice work, which is historically led by persons of color. And it refu and refuses to acknowledge the impact of white supremacy on the development of current environmental movement. See, eco-womanism calls for this thing that we call eco-memory. Uh, we all say that word back to, can you say eco-memory? Thank you, you at home, I hope you said eco-memory too. See, eco-memory is this shared understanding that we all have as created beings within this interconnection, this interweb of createdness. Simply what eco-memory does is it relies on the stories of those across the globe to share in the caretaking of the earth and explanations of it. Simply it means that we are listening to the stories of the present, and the past to inform our future, to create and continue to sustain a world, or hope to sustain a world, where God gets what God wants. And God wants us to get our daily bread.
So as a, a womanist approach, there's a hermeneutic of suspicion at play with this because eco-womanism asks us who is not present to help heal our land and what communities need aid for healing. See, as one who comes from a single parent home, and I, I grew up as an only child, I am one of 16 plus, um, but I did not grow up with any of them. See, I benefited from something that we call food commodities, and some of you may be familiar with this, but within a food commodities box, you might get a meat of some sort, some canned goods, some, dry, uh, some pasta or some non-perishables, and then maybe a roll of toilet paper and a box of Kellogg's cereal. Uh, I don't know, flakes. Um, I just knew it was a little bland for my taste. But my hermeneutic of suspicion started to actually go up a little bit when I thought about this, because food commodities are supposed to add another source of sustenance to a already struggling family or people that need it. And yet, I remember multiple times grabbing a big bag of hot dogs. And I'm talking about not a pack of 10, not a pack of eight, or I don't know what they do, I don't buy hot dogs often. It was like 20 francs. And, and this might seem like, well, Deshay, you're getting fed. I mean, like, people are truly looking for something to eat. I don't think we're supposed to give people rocks and call it bread. In the same manner, while it is a food or food-like substance, its ability to sustain is futile and in fact works in the opposite because so long as food commodities share this type of understanding of health, we will continue to kill our siblings and specifically uh, many of our siblings that are black and brown in our lower income areas. We are not free from the dangers that irresponsible food handling provides and in fact, when I think about the prayer, or one of the prayers, that we're taught that Jesus showed to his disciples, the idea of asking for daily bread is no longer some theological hoop jumping. It is no longer some exegetical process. I've had to ask myself, literally, in a corporate prayer, what does it mean to ask God for daily bread? What does it mean to ask that our needs are met, that it feeds not only our bodies, but gives us soul food? What does it mean when we, as a group of humans, come together and say this prayer, but then have neighbors who are starving just a mile away? And this isn't some type of sermon that's here to berate you and to come for your snacks. If anything, I come from a snacky household. <laughs> and I love it. I love my snacky household. But sometimes the privilege of being able to afford things and have our snackety snacks makes us forget about those that don't have a snack that smiles back. 
See, when we ask for the divine one to give us daily bread, it means we go into our school systems and eradicate a whole idea that says children have lunch detention, it's not lunch detention, it's lunch fees, and that children have to pay to eat at a place that they have to be at. Make it make sense, y'all, because when we ask for give us our daily bread, we we are understanding that 20% or one in four Texas children experience hunger. When we ask for our daily bread, we're trying to understand that 11% of households with seniors in Texas face food insecurity. When we are asking for our daily bread, we're starting to understand that according to the Tarrant Area Food Bank, an estimated 280,000 Fort Worth residents live in a food desert, which is situated a mile or more from a full-service grocery store. But let's go on the let's go on the side of what makes us fight back the insecurity. Maybe let's ask these things that prompt us to add, to think more about our daily bread. So when we say, "Give us this day our daily bread," maybe we're saying with urgency, "Give us this day food availability that is sufficient quantities on a consistent basis." then when we ask for daily bread, that means we're asking for access to food that is sufficient and nutritious, not a food-like product that leads to all other forms of death-dealing results. When we ask for our daily bread, we then become responsible for food use. What does that mean? What means we become responsible for the appropriate use of this food, the sustainability of it. That means we make it a, a possibility for someone to have fresh water, that for someone to have access to vegetables, that people have an understanding of the land in which they walk on. This prayer that we have been, some of us have been saying since we were probably about two or three years old becomes monotonous until we start taking a reality of can this be sacred? Not the, just the whole prayer, but asking every bit of it and saying, can I get my daily bread and can I get someone else's daily bread? I don't believe that the divine one calls us to suffer, but we know within the Beatitudes that there are blessed are many of folks. And even in that blessing, blessings don't sometimes always feed us unless you yourself are a blessing to others. So maybe when we ask, give us this day our daily bread, we start to make connections of sacred and saying, who needs bread? Can I make bread? And if I can't, who can I learn from to teach me about bread? Because as a disciple in this table, which we love so dearly, one person of a different, uh, one person cannot make the whole answer for everybody. But when you start bringing more and more people to the table, baby, the options, the options grow. Baby, when you invite more people to the potluck, 
Ooh, your taste buds will be gratified. Your taste buds will be happy. When we invite more people to this table and invite them to get that daily bread, we sustain our community and the kingdom of God that we are called to live into. So ask yourselves throughout the week, sit with your food, smell your food, give thanks for your food. If you don't know where it came from, take a quick Google search. And if not, give thanks because someone else did take care of it. Know that your food has a story like you and it's our duty to make sure that everybody gets to enjoy that story of food. Ashe and amen. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.